Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the world of Aeora. I'm your host Eric aka Gingerino. Thank you everybody for joining me in another episode as we dive into the history, lore, and game mechanics for Pillars of Eternity and Avowed. The reason we share all of those games in the same list is because they share the same world of Aeora, the fantasy setting for those games. And so as the theory goes, if we look into Pillars of Eternity as Avowed undergoes development, we can enter into that new game with a newfound appreciation for the world, a deep understanding of the lore, and just have kind of a, a nuanced experience about what's going on in the world and the setting that Avowed has played in. Today's episode is going to be a, a bit of a journey together. Not like not like a long journey, just kind of a short one. I, I'm taking some of the lore that I've talked about in previous episodes, and I'm applying the logic and the thought patterns here. We're going to be talking about three particular classes from the Pillars of Eternity games that you can select for your player character. For those unfamiliar with what I'm talking about, when you play fantasy RPGs, generally in character creation mode, you will make your character, you'll choose them to be a dwarf, an elf, a male, female, etc, etc, and you'll choose the type of person they are, otherwise known as class. You can choose things like fighters, wizards, priests, etc, etc. And today, we're going to be looking at fighters, barbarians, and rogues. Now, that's three classes, and in previous episodes, I've done entire episodes on single classes. Um, So why the reason for three classes in one episode today? The reason being is that while there is some deep lore to classes within Pills of Eternity, these three classes in particular don't have a substantial amount of lore about the class in particular. There is lore about things related to these classes, and we'll touch on that a little bit, but there's nothing about these classes in specific that have lore that's all on its own. For example, the fighter class will learn a little bit about what makes a fighter a fighter, but the lore associated with fighters is more about, like, martial leagues or underground fighting rings or or things like that. You know, like, if you played Skyrim and you were part of the Harbingers or something like that, like, that's tangential lore but it's not about the fighter itself and so these three classes uh, i've selected for this episode we're gonna kind of think out the implications of why these are even classes and how they operate within the world because there is still a magic going on there is still a power resource happening Uh, there's stuff going on besides the behind the scenes that make these people able to do what it is they're able to do and we're going to explore that today There's no news to go over, so let's just jump straight into the lore. I'm curious. What exactly did you find there? So, starting off with fighters, moving into rogues, and then finally with barbarians. These are three classes that you're probably familiar with if you've played fantasy RPGs. Fighters being the uh, kind of the martial experienced people. Uh, They're usually soldiers and things like that. Rogues being the sneaky in the shadow, stab you with a knife or shoot you from far away types. And barbarians being uh, the people that don't wear armor and just go recklessly angry into the battlefield in a frenzy, killing whoever they see. Uh, Those are kind of like a very quick overview of the archetypes. Uh, But we'll get into what they are in Pills of Eternity in particular. Because in each fantasy game, in each piece of fantasy media, 
how the creators of that fantasy world want to take a spin on these different classes, these different character archetypes, will be different. For example, when we talk about Rogue and Pillars of Eternity, it, it does fit into the stereotype of the people that work in the shadows and are typically charlatans and criminals. But in other fantasy settings, they don't have to be that. And I guess technically speaking, they don't have to be that in Pillars of Eternity either, but that is definitely where the class is built towards. So starting off with fighters, on Pillars of Eternity fandom website, they have this to say. Fighters are trained in the arts of martial defense. They are extraordinarily difficult to hit and extremely durable in combat, capable of holding off a towering ogre or a swarm of zarbs with equal aplomb. Fighters are also reliable in melee, gaining weapon specializations and other abilities that make them valuable centers of any front line. So what you have in a fighter is pretty straightforward. It's a person who has martial prowess. They're good with weapons, they are good with armor, they're good at fighting, they take a lot of damage, they can dish out a lot of damage. They're exactly what they sound like when you think of what kind of person is a fighter person. And there's not a lot of lore about fighters themselves. There is lore about different fighting leagues, there are lore about different groups of people that get together to fight wars, but about fighters themselves, there's not a lot of lore. So what is it we're going to be talking about today? Well, there's a particular line in this same article on fighters further down that is going to be featured throughout all of today's episode when I talk about all three classes, and it goes as follows. Though it may not look like it to see them in battle next to wizards and priests, fighters are just as able to tap into the power of their souls to a devastating effect, accelerating their attacks to a superhuman speed, striking foes with such power that nearby opponents are knocked off their feet, and maintaining a phenomenal endurance that allows them to rapidly bounce back from even terrible wounds. And so what we're looking at here is we're seeing a person who is a fighter that is doing near superhuman and in some cases actual superhuman things and because those things are occurring because those events are happening within the world there has to be a reason for it and obsidian obliges and gives us reasons for it they don't give us an outright reason for why fighters rogues and barbarians can do the things that they do but you learn about it by looking at other classes and understanding about the world to back up a little bit, I need to explain how magic works within the world of Aora. It won't be a long explanation, and if you're interested in more, you can check out my episode on magic. But all magic and special abilities have to do with the souls that exist within Aora. Every person in Aora has a soul, you have a soul, the person next to you has a soul, we all have a soul. It's, a, it's an actual concrete tangible object, or thing, if you will. And because it exists, that means it's made out of something. And that something is called Essence, capital E Essence. And it is the interaction with Essence in the world of Aora that causes these things that we see in the world, like magic. Priests will pray and connect to their deity, and that faith will drive their magic. Wizards will tie magical spells into a book and call it out for their needs. A chanter will stir the ambient Essence in the immediate environment around them, and correlate all that stuff into a spell. But what about fighters, rogues, and barbarians? They're not casting magic unless you have a specific subclass that lets you do something or you take a specific ability. So what does their soul have to do with what they're doing? We gain hints from it in Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire, when they introduce a mechanic called the Power Pool resource. And what this is, is essentially it's a name for the power pool that, or the, you know, it's the, it's the name of the thing that the class is using. So in Pillars of Eternity 2, if you play as a fighter, you will notice that you have a power pool called Discipline. And this is to say that Discipline is fueling 
all of the abilities that you have. And remember, a fighter is more than just someone who is proficient in a lot of different martial things. They are doing superhuman or near superhuman things as well. They are moving at a speed that people normally can't move at. They are displaying strength that most people wouldn't be able to pull off. They are using discipline of their soul to fuel these practically magical abilities. It's these interactions with the the soul and soul energy, which is called essence, that fuels a lot of this stuff. I've talked about the cipher class before, which is like a psionics class. They prim- primarily interact with other people's souls and use that and manipulate that to their advantage. As I've mentioned, chanters kind of like stir ambient energy around them. But fighters, they use their own souls, just like a lot of other classes do, but they specifically use discipline. And it's so it's almost like fighters have this deep volition that is so powerful that they can actually control the essence and energy that is housed within their own soul to do things that they want to do. And so they've disciplined themselves to be able to use their soul to perform these superhuman abilities, such as being very, very fast or being very, very strong, etc., etc. Now, again, the lore doesn't say this explicitly, and it doesn't say that they're thinking about their discipline. It it probably is more innate, I would have to guess. But this is what we learn from other classes, and we can surmise that this is how it works for them as well. A little bit of lore about fighters in particular, however, uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire introduces subclasses, and so we can learn a little bit about a few subclasses of fighter, and this likely will correlate to different factions and groups around the world of Aeora that attract fighters. The first one is called Black Jacket. Fighters of the Black Jacket Academies pride themselves on being skilled with a wide variety of weapons. Though the original school was founded in the Deerwood, many sister academies have sprung up across the Eastern Reach and Old Empires. Former students of the Black Jacket often wear Black Brigadine as a sign of the fellowship. And so in this little subclass here, we learn lore about a a school, an academy of fighters known as Black Jacket. And so somewhere in the world of Aeora, this group of people exist. The next subclass from Pillars of Eternity 2 is the Devoted. The Devoted are dedicated to the pursuit of a single weapon to the exclusion of all others. They are so attuned to the techniques of their chosen arms that other weapons feel bizarre and alien to them. Because of their extreme specialization, devoted academies often consist of a single master or a tiny cadre of like-minded disciples. Now, it's a little unclear if this is just the title of people who like to fight with one weapon and one weapon only, but the words devoted academies give the impression that there are fighting academies out there that only train in single weapons, and so this is something that could exist within the world itself. The next is Unbroken. Unbroken fighters are glaciers of the battlefield. Slow-moving, almost indestructible, and dangerous to circumvent. Often underestimated for their lack of mobility, the Unbroken have laid low countless foolhardly opponents on the battlefield. Unbroken academies tend to be somber, serious places, most common in similarly somber, serious nations, such as Adir or Rayad Saris. And so here we learn about fighters who are in what would be called Unbroken academies. Now, the thing I want to wonder is whether or not these academies are actually named this. Like, if they ship fighters somewhere to, oh, you're going to go to the Unbroken Academy, or you're going to go to a Devoted Academy, or if this is just kind of placeholder names that Obsidian have made. But if I was creating a tabletop role-playing game, uh, you know, I might lean into this a little bit and actually call them this. 
The next subclass is called Tactician, although in my opinion, Tactician is largely just a subclass for role-playing. I don't think that there's an actual group out there who are the Tactician Academy people. Those who can rally their wit in the heat of battle are known as tacticians. These warriors see all forms of combat as only pieces moving in a play. Frequently assuming leadership positions within structured military, tacticians weaponize cleverness and sharpen experience. Yeah, so it just sounds like someone who is very tactical in their fighting. So that is an overview of what a fighter is, and I'm going to do episodes later on some of the tangential lore with fighters, like some of the fighting groups and academies that there are, uh, certain weapons that only fighters can use, and the stories behind them. But for fighters themselves, that's all I really want to cover today. I, I mostly want us to stop and consider how their interaction with their soul has to do with their discipline, and discipline leads to these more martial prowess type of abilities. Moving into the next class is Rogue, and we see the same thing at play. Here is the description of a Rogue class in Pills of Eternity. Rogues are vicious killers, feared for the brutality of their attacks. They can be found as often in dark back alleys as the heart of battlefield skirmishes. Though unpredictable and undisciplined, rogues are commonly used as shock troops or as part of a surprise assault. With their withering attacks breaking enemy rank and morale, rogues tend to congregate in larger numbers in cities where they can be steadily employed as mercenaries or hired muscle. So one thing I do want to note about rogues is that they are definitely a lot more pigeonholed into a type, right? Like they're, they are definitely meant to be played in a certain way. They don't have to be criminal, mind you. You can roleplay them however you like, but there's definitely a way that rogues exist in this world that's a little bit more, I would say, finely tuned rather than open in some other systems. And that's not a bad thing. I kind of like that, actually. And like rogues from other systems, they have a wide array of skills and they can use a lot of different things. They typically use subterfuge and stealth to gain advantage on the battlefield. And all that kind of stuff is more about combat and tactics. So I'm not going to get into that because this is a lower program. But just kind of know, like, that's when the Pillars of Eternity world talks about rogues, that is the type of person that you should be thinking about, is that kind of archetype. But here's the thing. Rogues are capable of doing many wonderful and fantastical things, and one that sticks out in my mind is an ability called Shadowed Beyond, or Shadowing Beyond. This allows the character to temporarily turn invisible. Alright, so think about that for a second. Like, like rogues we think about in this mundane state, you know, as cut purses and charlatans and as these people who go into the shadows and sneak around and they can be assassins. They have the ability at a certain point in their life to turn invisible. That's that's not something that people could do, right? Like uh, last time I checked, that's not a thing that anybody can do. That is a superhuman thing. So how are they doing this? Well, just like with the fighter, it has to do with the connection to their own soul. In Pills of Eternity 2, when we look at what their power pool is called, it's called Guile, which has to do with slyness and cunning and intelligence. Now, to use another source of information that I don't normally use, we're going to go to the Pills of Eternity pen and paper RPG. So this is like a tabletop role-playing game that you can play in the Pills of Eternity world. You can find it on eternity.obsidian.net for free, as it is in its alpha state right now. It's not finished being made. But in this, and a lot of this, I think maybe all of it, is written by Josh Sawyer, one of the, you know, the powerhouses behind this game. In one section, they talk about these different power pools, and when talking about guile, it's described as such. 
Guile is the art of magical misdirection through a variety of soul-augmented tricks and the manipulation of the in-between. It can be used to conceal, distract, deceive, and even step through the in-between with ease. And so there's something about rogues and their guile power that allows them to access this, I, I, I don't know if it's called a liminal state or something, but it's this like parallel reality, if you will, called the in-between. You have the here and now where bodies and trees and rocks and stuff are, and then you have the, the beyond where souls go after you die. But between the here and the beyond is the in-between, and it's kind of like, uh, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's in between those two worlds. It's the part that souls go through to get from one place to another. There's a lot of lore about the in-between. One of the notable things is that the gods can't even get inside of it. It's a very tricky area in reality. But rogues are able to manipulate something about the in-between and even step in and through the in-between. So they are somehow able to project their soul, if you will, into the in-between, which I, I like to imagine is kind of like overlaid atop normal reality. So it's not like it's in a far off land somewhere. It's kind of, you're always on the precipice of being able to access it. I don't know if that's actually true. It's just kind of how I'm imagining it. And rogues are able to use their cunning and their intellect as a way to access this. And that's kind of how they use their soul, at least going off of this lore. I don't know if you can consider this canon or not, since it's not an officially finalized and published thing, uh, but we have that written there by Josh Sawyer. But I'm using lore from other classes to justify that this is how it works, because it's always about the interaction with essence. And guile has to do with, again, slyness, cunning, and intelligence, and so some connecting to that part of your soul must be what the rogues do. When looking at the subclasses of rogues, I, I find that the personality of the individual rogue uh, has a, a unique flair to it. So depending on the type of personality that this rogue is and their connection to their own soul might determine what kind of kind of rogue they are. We have assassins, street fighters, tricksters, and debonairs, right? And I think this has to do with the kind of cunning and the kind of intelligence that a rogue might have. The kind of plans they set forth will determine the kind of subclass of rogue that they might be in terms of lore and, you know, like, how the narrative works. Like a trickster rogue, for example, dabbles in illusion magic and to augment their rogue abilities using magic, they can find their way out of almost any situation, but their sneak attack is less powerful than other rogues. And lastly, we have barbarians. Now, for those of you who have played fantasy RPGs before, you probably know exactly what it is that fuels the barbarian's superhuman abilities, but we're going to go through the lore anyways. The in-game description for a barbarian reads this. Brutes. Madmen. Berserkers. Though city-dwelling people often use the term barbarian with a dose of disrespect, these rural warriors are respected by their communities for their ferocity and fearsome presence on the battlefield. Barbarians have a special, almost religious role in some cultures, but in many places the undisciplined, fearless style of the barbarian is simply how warriors conduct themselves. Now, there is a little bit of lore here in, in like the world itself. A lot of barbarians will be involved in, uh, it says here, religious roles in some of their cultures and in their communities, right? So that's something to keep in mind if you're role-playing as a barbarian uh, to consider, like, what is your role within the society that you have? Whenever I consider how I like to role-play in the Pillars of Eternity games, uh, there's usually often an important question to ask yourself. Like when I did my episode on rangers, 
you know, we obviously, we talked about how rangers were woodsmen and huntsmen. They were good at tracking. Uh, they could do some magic. But the real thing to ask the question when it comes to the role play is, what's your connection to your animal companion? With a barbarian, there is this idea that a barbarian plays an important part in their community's culture. And so that's something you need to ask yourself. If you're, bar- if you're a barbarian and you're role-playing, what is your role within your immediate society? The second thing to ask yourself, and this is a lot of you will probably see this coming, is what really pisses you off? <laughs> because as a lot of us know, the thing that fuels a barbarian's abilities is rage, unbridled fury. So Pillars of Eternity 2, the power pool is called rage. You unleash rage and you access this uh, frenzied state and it allows you to do things that people normally wouldn't be able to do. You're tapping into your soul with your anger. And so that's how barbarians access the power of their soul. They let their anger kind of like almost fuse with their soul and let it control them so that the decisions you're making is based off of your rage. And you can do things like, I think in the game, it's called Carnage. There's like a, a trait or a passive skill. Or there's a skill called Carnage, and it's just laying waste to everybody on the battlefield. These subclasses for a barbarian do lead to some interesting questions, especially within the lore. Some of them are just there for different types of barbarians, such as uh, the Berserker, which is giving themselves over entirely to their rage. Berserkers lose themselves in their frenzy. They become oblivious to their own well-being, their carnage affecting both friend and foe. The idea behind a berserker is that you are fully giving over to your rage, and it is blind to any context of what's going on. I I like subclasses like this. I like seeing lore like this because it asks the question of, like, what is the connection between a barbarian and their rage? Uh, what happens if the rage is too much? What happens if the rage is too small? How do they power their rage? What what if there's what if they're not angry about anything? Or like what does you know these there's all these like where the rubber meets the road questions that can be asked, and that's what these subclasses kind of deal with, and I like that stuff. Another subclass is called Corpse Eater, <laughs> which is a, an interesting one. Often loathed by their enemies, corpse eaters consume the flesh of fallen foes to gain their power. Not mere cannibals. The corpse eater must conduct their rites in the heat of battle. Outside their communities, corpse eaters are often misunderstood as desecrators of the dead. In the minds of the corpse eaters, however, consuming the flesh of an opponent honors them and their sacrifice. So corpse eater barbarians are people that eat the fallen, that the people that they've killed, in order to, well, A, honor them because it's a, it's a cultural thing, uh, but then B, to gain their power, it says here. And we do know in the world of Aeora that living flesh is suffused with essence, and so by doing that, you would have more power, which would make your rage all the more powerful, right? So there, there is some logic to the mechanics there, including the gaminess of it. I'm not endorsing this, obviously, but that, that's the lore for what the, these barbarians in these particular societies would do. There's the Mage Slayer Barbarian, uh, who are typically in isolated communities, and they have little exposure to academics of any sort, and they generally distrust magical arts, and they kind of own their skills to pursuing and destroying anybody who practices spellcasting. The next one is called Fury Shapers, and I, I like the, the, like the hidden questions and implications that this one's asking. Fury Shapers carry a burden of trauma in their past lives, because the world of Aeora runs on a cycle of reincarnation, so this trauma that exists in a previous life that your soul has lived. Suffering when those emotional 
emotions inexplicably bleed into their current psyche. These rare individuals can manifest their emotions in a physical form, inflicting their rage, terror, or madness onto the world. What this subclass allows you to do in game is you actually summon like like a ward. It's called it's called shape ward, uh, but it looks like a totem in game, and it has an aura around it that affects people on the battlefield in a particular way. And so a fury shaper is able to take past life traumas and take it into their current life and make it an actual physical tangible thing in the world that has an effect. Like this is how deep the connection that a, a barbarian's rage has with their soul that they can actually do this in the world around them. So those are the three classes I want to talk about today, fighters, rogues, and barbarians. And while I didn't talk about any hard lore, by that I mean that there was like a, a lot of sentences that I read off of a page or there was definitive written out or spoken lore about these classes and some deep rich history uh, that all three of them have it was today's episode was more about taking some things we've discussed in other episodes which is the connection that a person in aura has to their soul and how that has an impact on the world and looking at that through the examples of these three classes so i hope you liked an episode like this one today i know it was a little bit more um, I would call it soft lore, like we had to kind of read into it a little bit, and there might be things that I'm a little bit wrong on, and so for that, I want your guys' opinion on anything I've said today. Uh, worldofaora at gmail.com is the email to reach me at. If you liked or didn't like today's episode, or you had extra thoughts, or you thought I was incorrect on something, please email me. I, I really do want to know, especially with things like today's episode. I don't want to get in the habit of doing this, what I'm calling soft lore, but I felt for the sake of really getting into this world of really soaking in the fantasy of right thinking kind of like the developers or the writers might think uh, getting into the mindset of the world itself and seeing and reading between the lines of how the mechanics and the metaphysics of this world works i, I love that stuff i love theory crafting and I, I love speculating on this kind of thing so hopefully you enjoyed me with it but enough of that let's ask the question of what does any of this have to do with avowed is an oath worth the weight of a crown? So while we know we're not picking our own class of character outright in Avowed, we're building up classes, um, There, what I expect to see with fighters, rogues, and barbarians is I expect to see some of their abilities and skills brought into Avowed. We already saw in the gameplay trailers examples of these things. For example, at one point there is a shield charge skill that we see where the main character is rushing forward with their shield out ready to bash something in front of them and that i believe is a fighter ability from pillars of eternity and so i'm expecting that various abilities that these three classes have from pillars of eternity will be brought into avowed as well i'm sure they will develop unique abilities that are new in the world or unique to avowed and taking advantage of the medium that they're in i'm particularly excited about the idea of a rogue being able to turn invisible uh, I, I like doing stuff like that. I like doing playthroughs like that. The idea that I could be sneaking around, turn invisible, let a guard walk by, and then just get right by him like that. I, that kind of thing I really do enjoy. The, the big question I do have in regards to these three, though, is the Barbarian's Rage. I don't know if they'll have a rage mechanic in Avowed, because we're not picking barbarians, we're not picking classes, but I'm sure we might have some barbarian-based abilities, but will we have the rage ability? It's definitely doable, like you could activate the rage mechanic and maybe it will give you, you know, some rapid healing and stuff like that. 
uh, and it'll increase your strength or something. Who knows? Or or maybe it'll lower your defenses, though. So you might have rapid healing. You might have increased strength for attacks, but you can take more damage. I don't, I don't know. Like, I'm just kind of speculating at this point. But will we have rage? I don't know. And how deep will Avow go into the lore of the connection between your person and their soul and how this works, right? I, I don't know. But I definitely expect there to be aspects of these three classes involved in Avowed in some way, shape, or form, especially since we've definitively seen some of them at play in the gameplay trailer. No news about the show to talk about today. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, I'm still playing Baldur's Gate, like many of you out there. I think I'm 60 hours in. Uh, my uh, wife and child, they traveled to the other side of the country this last week, and I was very sad that I wasn't able to go, and I, I genuinely mean that. I would much rather have joined them on that trip, but I was not able to get the time off work. Uh, but that being said, you know, I may as well enjoy it for what I have, and I've been doing a lot of Baldur's Gate. My goal was to try to get it done, and I, I've just barely got into Act 3, so I'm still a long ways away. Uh, but I did something in this playthrough that I have never done in an RPG, and it's kind of uncomfortable, but I think in the long run, I'm going to like this more. And what I've done is I've purposely skipped major quests or major arcs uh, in this first playthrough I'm doing for two reasons. One, for the role play of thinking my character wouldn't pursue this, so I'm not going to do it. But also two, it leaves me with something new and novel to experience on a second playthrough. Because there's so much of this game I haven't seen, I want to do a second playthrough. But like a lot of you, I'm sure, if you ever played an RPG where in your first playthrough you do everything, and then you do a second playthrough to experience the other side of everything, and there's so much that you've done already that you have to kind of slog through. You're like, oh, I already did this quest. There's only really one way to do it. Or, oh, I have to walk over here. I've been here before a hundred times, you know. There's so much that you have to repeat. And I don't know about you, I don't like that part of a second playthrough. I hate going through hours and hours of the same content I've already done. I, I like it to be new and fresh in different ways. And for Baldur's Gate, I've completely skipped major areas. Uh, for example, the Mountain Pass. Um, I went into the Mountain Pass and then immediately left thinking to myself, I'll save this entire map. I, so I haven't done anything. I think I walked in, I killed an enemy, and I left. I have done nothing in the Mountain Pass. So on my second playthrough... It's all going to be fresh, which means I'm going to have an entire map that I've never seen before. And I, I'm hoping it'll make the second playthrough better. I don't know. If anybody out there has kind of done this before and you can tell me how it goes, uh, let me know. Worldofair at gmail.com, which reminds me, if you want to follow the show's Twitter or X page, it's at World of Aora. Thanks, everyone, for, for listening to today's episode. I had a lot of fun talking about it, even though it wasn't a lot of hard lore. I, I still thought it was an important one to do, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Send me an email or follow me on Twitter. Let me know if you liked it or didn't like it. I generally want the feedback, and uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Thanks, everybody. I've been your host, Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino, and I'll see you guys next time.